You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. So we're in our Love and War series. And my hope during this time together and this series is that we have more love and less war in our relationships. Now, war is a part of life, isn't it? As much as we, we, do, we wish it not to be so, there are moments in our marriage relationships and in relationships where we will have to get involved in a little bit of warfare. I want to tell you a bit of a story that is personal to Pastor Jürgen and I that happened, I guess, around 15 years ago when we were going through a bit of a crisis in our family. And um, during this time of crisis, we we're having an issue with one of our children And we found that during this stressful time, that instead of fighting for each other and fighting for our family as much as we thought we were doing that, we ended up fighting with one another. How many people other than me have been there where the stressful times get you pulling out your sword that you should be using on the devil and you use them on each other? And you wonder why you're bloody and bruised and bleeding and maimed in the corner. It's because you've been using your sword on the wrong person. And so Jürgen and I did what we would tell you to do in that same instance. We went to see a really good, good Christian, Christian counsellor, marriage counsellor. And we sat and we, for about an hour, just like exploded with all our issues with one another. And it was amazing what came out. I mean, I couldn't believe what he was saying. Oh, how dare you? And he couldn't believe what I was saying. Oh how dare you? And we sat there kind of going back and forth. And the therapist, as all good therapists do, just sat back, just listened. She listened. And then she put her finger to her chin like this. And she said, you know, Jürgen and Leanne, you don't have any big problems. You just got a whole lot of little things that you've never dealt with. And it was like the penny dropped. And as we sat there, we realized it wasn't the big issues that were destroying our relationship. It was the little issues that we hadn't dealt with. And how many of us have got to places in our relationship or know people who have constantly not dealt with the little things till one day they wake up and they've got this thing called irreconcilable differences and they find themselves in a divorce court? It doesn't need to be that way. So I'm here to bring a message of hope today. Things can be better than they've been. I'm gonna start by reading a scripture from the book of Song of Solomon. It is written by wisdom, uh, wisdom. Well, yeah, I suppose that works in some way. Written by Solomon, who was the wisest man who ever lived. And it's actually known as the book of romance. It says this, Song of Solomon, chapter two, verses 15 to 17. You must catch the troubling foxes, those sly little foxes. Somebody say little. Little. Not the big bad boys that the men go to emerge ranch with their guns to shoot. The ones that are obvious and they hang up as a trophy, the tiny little foxes, those sly little foxes that hinder our relationship. For they raid our budding vineyard of love to ruin what I've planted with you. You've planted some beautiful things with your significant other. What a shame if the little foxes took that out. Will you catch them and remove them for me? Actually, better idea. 
we will do it together. And that's how it's done. So I want to talk to you today about the big little things that will ruin the vineyard of your love. I'm going to make it all romantic. I'm going to make it all like one of those rom-com movies that will ruin the vineyard of your love if you don't catch them together. So the title of this message is Big Little Things. And I'm going to I'm going to go through eight different big little things and I'd like you to just engage with the Holy Spirit right now. Resist the temptation to nudge your spouse. Resist the temptation to lean over and get your pen and write on there, you need to listen to this, you need to asterisk that. And for the single people here today, I want to encourage you, this is a perfect message for you because you get to learn before the test. This is wonderful. So I want everybody leaning in. So we're going to talk about the little things that will become big things if you don't take them out, like the Bible tells us in the book of Song of Solomon. So we're going to start. You ready? I want you to take notes. I want you to lean in and get ready. Maybe not all of these points will speak to you, but I'm believing that at least one of them will, and it will be the, the, the catalyst for beautiful change in your marriage relationship. The first one is little gratitude. A little fox called Little Gratitude can destroy the vineyard of your love unless you catch that little fox together. Look at this scripture in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. But understand this, this is Paul speaking to the church, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, okay? For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, sounds terrible, ungrateful. Paul slipped that in there, ungrateful and unholy. What is this scripture saying? Ungratefulness will create a time of difficulty. You think of one of the most abhorrent, ugly attitudes that is alive in the world today, entitlement. A lack of gratitude. Uh, I should. You need to. Well, I deserve it. And there's, there's nothing more ugly and nothing more destructive in a relationship than a lack of gratitude, little gratitude. Can I ask you this question? When was the last time you looked into the eyes of your spouse and said, thank you? and not in a sarcastic way, like, thanks. But like, thank you. Thank you for keeping our house well. Thank you for looking after our children. Thank you for being selfless. Thank you for taking such good care of yourself. I'm so proud to have you on my arm. Thank you, my husband, for working hard to make sure I never have to worry that our electricity is gonna be turned off. we can get so caught up in all the things that aren't being done, we forget to, to pinpoint and point out the things that are praiseworthy, that we should be thankful for. Can you imagine how much your relationship would shift if every day when your spouse did something for you or even just went about the business and routine of running a family and a relationship? I know that's annoying, but I'm sure we're going to work it out. You looked in their eyes and said, thank you, and meant it. 
I mean, it would literally change the world. We should come into our marriage relationship with a level of expectation that we're going to be provided for, protected, that the person we're married to will be, uh, will be faithful to us. These are healthy expectations. But things go awry when healthy expectations turn into entitlement. And what entitlement is an expectation without gratitude, without thankfulness. How many of us have, we, have, have seen husbands or wives train wreck marriages because of their selfishness, and yet we don't appreciate the fact that our husband or wife is not doing the same things that that other person that we saw that we were like, oh, that's terrible. And we didn't look at them and go, thank you for being a faithful husband. Thank you that I never have to worry that you're going to leave me for a Victoria's Secret model. Thank you that you're a beautiful wife, that, that my heart can safely trust you that I know you're going to be faithful to me, that I know that my kids are being cared for by the best possible human they could ever possibly be cared for by? Gratitude. Maybe today, the little fox that is spoiling the vine of your love is not a big thing, it's just a little thing. It's little gratitude. Somebody needs to say amen right there. The next thing, little words. Here's what Proverbs Chapter 12, verse 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. Listen to that. The words of the reckless will pierce like a sword. My friends, there but for the grace of God go I. There certainly was a season in my marriage relationship where both Jürgen and I were... Well armed with a sword, I am Indigo Montoya. You killed my father, prepare to die. I was like flipping Zorro. But this, this scripture right here tells me that the purpose of the words of the godly, of the righteous, of the redeemed, and lift your hand if that's you today. At least half of you, we're on the, we're on the right track. We're getting progress. The purpose of our words in the marriage relationship are to bring healing. Now, there may be some argument on the way to healing, and that's okay. There should be passion in your relationship, and not just in the bedroom, but in the boardroom. At the discussion table, and you married her because she's spicy and she's passionate and she's hot-blooded, and then you get all bent out of business when she tells you what time it is. Stop it. And you wanted a leader, and you looked at him like, that's a man. But when he acts like a man, you want to smother him and tell him to stop saying that. The words of the reckless pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Maybe sometimes on the way to healing, there are going to be some robust conversations and every marriage worth its salt has some robust conversations. However, however, we need to learn how to fight right. Name calling. And here's the thing. Let me be honest with you. You will never be as close in proximity to another human as you are with your spouse. That's how God intended it. In fact, the Bible says that the two become one flesh. They are you, you are them. So when you hurt them, you hurt yourself. Write that down. But in the process of this closeness, this proximity, is we learn each other's vulnerabilities. And here's something that I think is a great, great wickedness. 
that in the process of that proximity and that closeness and that uh, sharing of vulnerabilities and seeing the person for who they really are and knowing their strengths, their weaknesses, their fears, their insecurities, that we would use those things against each other in a time of warfare. Let me read you a scripture that is going to seem quite perplexing, but then I'm going to break it down. In Deuteronomy 25, 11 to 12, it says this, If two men are fighting and the wife of one of them comes to rescue her husband from his assailant and she reaches out and seizes him by his private parts, this is in the Bible, and there's a reason I'm sharing this scripture with you, you shall cut off her hand, show her no pity. All right. What is the point that God is making here? It is wicked to use somebody's vulnerabilities against them. I know your sensitivities. I know the areas of your greatest weakness and I'm gonna use it to hurt you. This is what God is saying in that scripture. It's not that this woman's sticking up for her husband, it's that she went for the, the bad move when the ref wasn't looking. And she took him out at the point of his vulnerabilities. That's not a fair fight. You know, I would be in uh, arguments with my husband and he would be winning because he was German and he was better, better at words than I was. And I would just, and I'd be like thinking in my head, what can I say to bring him to his knees? I know, I'm sorry. And I would think in my head, I'm just gonna say to him, I'm gonna say, and I will be the winner. And I would say to him, you are just like your father because I knew exactly what to say in order to trigger him. And I believe the Lord is wanting to shift things in marriages where we don't use each other's vulnerabilities against one another. So if you're in an argument and you have to grab the privates to win, you better stop that. Because <laughs> I don't know a whole lot's changed and now we're not physically cutting people's hands off. I will say there will be a level of Ah, spiritual recompense that will happen when you use that kind of action in order to beat someone in an argument. So if you know your wife's insecure, if you know she was raised in a home where she wasn't told she was beautiful and she was racked with eating disorders and she has huge self-image problems, you're not to say in an argument, well, you're just insecure. You're insecurity. You know what insecurity is a great opportunity for? To bring security to say, honey, I love you. There's no one else I love or desire. You are beautiful. There is none like you. The Proverbs 31 man knew this perfectly. The Bible says that he used comparison to boost his wife. Oh, honey, many daughters have done well. They're all right. But you, oh, you excel them all. Don't gripe on her and use her area of vulnerability, insecurity to grind her into the dust. Use it as an opportunity to bring security. I love you. There's no one else I want or desire. Nobody compares to you. Maybe it's little words. Yes. Point number three, before you amen too loud. <laughs> little intimacy little intimacy. I will talk about it simply because I like to talk about things that most other people don't talk about. I think if, uh, 
They're saying you can't talk about that. That is literally uh, an open door for me to talk about that. So <laughs> that's what I do. Nobody's talking about this. Oh, because I was thinking about talking about this. Little intimacy, according to psychology today, a lack of intimacy is the number one reason that couples seek therapy. Did you know this? And I know this after pastoring for almost 30 years. I know that one of the biggest issues in a marriage breakdown is a brokenness in the sexual intimacy department. Do you know when we were created? In the beginning, the Bible talks about in Genesis when God created the heavens and the earth and he spoke and the darkness and he spoke, let there be light and light was. And he spoke the animals into existence and he spoke and the mountains formed their peaks and he spoke and spoke and the rushing mighty rivers came. But then once earth was complete, the Bible says that God stopped speaking and he started forming. He started to get physically involved. So when it came to man, his most prized possession, he didn't say, I create man. The Bible says, but then God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. What does this mean? You and I were created for touch, for intimacy. And specifically right here, I want to talk to you about sexual intimacy. I want to talk to you about the act of marriage. You know the difference between the relationship you have with your spouse or a roommate? Lovemaking. And the two will become one flesh. For this reason, a man will leave their mother and their father and the husband will cleave to his wife. You know, there are many reasons, and I know this can be a trigger for a lot of people, and so I tread around it lightly. But I do want to say this today. Jesus has an incredible track record with healing the sexually broken. Those who have been abused, and that's a reality. That's a real reality. And then also who, those who have been abusers. Jesus heals both the sexually broken abused and the sexually broken abuser. I want to tell you today, maybe there's an issue in your marriage relationship because of something that has been experienced. Don't let it stay that way. We have immeasurable grace for your situation, what you've walked through, but don't let it stay that way. Imagine what your marriage would look like, would feel like, how much joy there would be if you let Jesus into this area to heal you of your sexual brokenness so you can enjoy your husband or your wife as you were meant to. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. The wife does not have exclusive authority over her own body, but the husband shares with her. And likewise, the husband does not have exclusive authority over his own body, but the wife shares with him. Do not, somebody say do not, deprive each other of marital rights, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves unhindered to prayer, but come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you to sin because of your lack of self-control. Now, each of us are responsible for our own actions. If you go out and have an affair because your wife isn't giving you what you need, you're in error. That's wrong. 
The Bible says that God has given you the fruit of self-control. However, I will say this. You've got to understand that when you aren't pulling Jesus into this area, allowing healing to come, that you do open a door for the devil to tempt. I want you to hear this very clearly. And I want you to know again that Jesus can heal us of our sexual brokenness so we can enjoy the marriage bed like the Lord intended us for to us to enjoy it. I remember Sarah in the book of Genesis, and she laughed when the angel said, you're going to have a baby. And she said, will I have pleasure in my old age? And the answer was yes. And maybe you're asking the same thing today. Oh my gosh, it seems so far-fetched. Will I have pleasure in my old age? You can. Believe in the Lord. Believe that He can do a miracle in your relationship and do the work that needs to be done. There are great therapists out there. But don't let little intimacy be the thing that spoils the vineyard of your love. Amen. 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 I'm not even going to try. <laughs> Missed the straw. I want to say this too. I want, to, I want to linger on that for a second. I want to say that read the book of, the song, of song of Solomon. Because I don't like it when, when we have panels and they're like, unless you're having sex twice a week, uh, you're in error. And look, maybe, maybe not. But do you know that the book of Solo, Song of Solomon and in the books where Paul speaks to uh, Christian marriages and intimacy, he actually doesn't talk about quotas. He talks about an environment that's created. If you read Song of Solomon, they're writing each other poetry and he's meeting her in secret under the bushes and they're sneaking out and he's writing all these beautiful songs comparing her to barnyard animals. I don't know, back then it was, things were a little different. But it says nothing in there. I commandeth thee that thee must have sex, you know, four to two times a week. It doesn't. It's like create an environment for romance to flourish. And I will tell you, man, no woman wants to sleep with a jerk. And if you come home and you hit her over the head with a Bible, and the Bible says, and Pastor Leanne, I amend it today. And I, I want you to fix it, but you've got to ask. Are you setting the atmosphere for romance? Or, or have you just written it down as another on the to-do list for that poor old wife after she's done feeding the dog and packing the school lunches? Or have you created an atmosphere of love? And there's a lot of Latinos in this room and you got, you got the language of love. It should be easier for you with that accent. Come to me, my darling. I will make all your dreams come true. And by that, you should mean I'll do the washing up and tidy up and put the kids to bed before I make your dreams come true. Perfect. Foreplay as a woman would like it. It's an environment. I would say true for the women also. You know, if you're unkind and berating and demanding and pulling that man down, I you're not creating an environment for romance to flourish. You set the dial in your home. Is it set to romance? Is it set to gratitude and thankfulness and preferring one another over yourself? Yeah, amen. That's enough to chew on. All right. 
The fourth little, little thing. Oh, oh, I'm so over time. Little resentments. Little, resent, little by little, those things that we don't forgive. And the Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, it says, be angry, but sin not. And do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And do not give a place to the devil. So here's what happens. If you get angry and you sin and you let that anger last beyond the going down of the sun, you will give the little fox of resentment an opportunity to to destroy the vine of your love. Resentments go without saying. We're gonna be married to people that rub us up the wrong way. Little things are gonna happen. Offences will come. They will say something that hurts your feelings. They will neglect you. They will overlook you. There will be pain. But the Bible says, if you want to live rightly and have a good marriage relationship, you gotta see the going down as the sun of the sun as your spiritual sign from the Lord. It is time to let it go. And a lot of people, we've harboured these little resentments Till we, we can't even function, we can't even look at each other peace, peacefully anymore, peaceably, because we've had a whole lot of things that we've just kept in on the inside of us. And I'm telling you, I was like that. I could have worked for the FBI. <laughs> I had a file in my mind of every infraction and I could bring it up at any given time to remind my husband that he was a repeat offender. I remember one such time. I was meant to be cleaning out the closets. And when you're cleaning out the closets, if you find something interesting, it ends up being a trip down memory lane and no cleaning actually happens. I'm going through old photo albums, I'm like crying, oh my God, this was our first blanket and here's Geordie's first tooth and you know, like all these things. No cleaning gets done, no sorting, but I had a good time. Until I came across a photo of Jürgen and I when we were dating. And it was a photo of me and him standing next to his car, the car that he had when I first started dating him, and he was holding his surfboard. And my first thought was, oh, what a sweet picture. And then my memory started ticking over. And I'm like, I remember that car, and I remember that surfboard. In fact, I remember having to sit in the back of that car while my husband's surfboard got the front seat. Now I was mulling over something that had happened 25 years ago, 25. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I'm starting to wind up. I'm like, oh my gosh, my husband's a chauvinist. And I started rehearsing all the bad things he'd done over 25 years of marriage. The poor man came home from work that afternoon and I launched at him, you! And how many of us little resentments We don't enjoy a great today because we keep dredging up a bad yesterday. You gotta shut the the door on the past. Listen, that door will always be there where you can jump back into 1995 and remind them of the thing they used to do. But it will destroy your marriage like a cancer. That's why the Bible says, forget about what happened. You need some good amnesia in marriage. Now, if that, if that, pattern of bad behaviour has ended. If he was still putting me in the back while his surfboard got the front seat, then that would warrant a feisty conversation. But the reality is the man had changed. But I kept pulling up a bad memory from the past, ruining a great today with a bad yesterday. Little 
resentments, little resentments. Maybe that's the fox that you've got to deal with today. You get your fishing pole out of God's sea of forgetfulness. Bible says that God takes our sins and He tosses them into the sea of forgetfulness. But I tell you what, there are some husbands and wives out there. You got a massive big fishing pole and you keep launching it into that, that sea and pulling out the big one, a stinky old fish and you wave it in their face. <laughs> Look what you did. And then you wonder why your relationship stinks. Keep your pole out of God's sea. It's not your sea, it's the Lord's. Little resentments. Here's what Hebrews 12:15 says. Watch out. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. You think about how many marriages have been corrupted and troubled because of a root of bitterness that has been allowed to grow because you haven't let it go. It's time. Do like the prophet Elsa says, let it go. It is time to let it go. All right, I'm so over time. Little friendships, and I'll try to move as quickly as possible here. One of the reasons that I think we have had such a breakdown in marriages, uh, even within the church, is that we've failed at the point of doing what the Bible tells us in the book of Titus 2. So the book of Titus is really clear. The older women should train the younger. The older men should train the younger men. A lot of that hasn't happened. We've become a selfish bunch. So I would say to you, if you have any level of fruit in your marriage relationship and and influence, and there are people around you, they are begging. They're saying, teach me how to live. I don't know how to parent. We are in the most unmothered and unfathered generation of all time. They don't know how to fix stuff. Half of them don't even know how to clean the house. And you turn up to their house, some some women, and it's a shambles and it's chaos and they don't know how to organise because their own mother didn't teach them. And then we just want to judge them. Don't judge them, help them. Help them. Little friendships. That's that's what this community is for. This is why the Bible tells us in Hebrews, you're not to forsake the gathering together of the saints because there's something that happens in this community. Just ask my friend right here who shared, his life was changed. It accelerated because of this. And there comes a point where we just don't come for ourselves. And of course, you're always going to be fed, but who are you feeding? Little friendships, speaking into them. I I can help you how to steward that money well. Your own dad didn't. I'm going to show you how to do it. I can teach you, sweetheart, how to keep a clean home, not in a judgmental way, how to care for those babies that are just railroading your life. That sleep in your bed every night and you think that you need to breastfeed till you're three, till they're three. No. Like that's where a mama, maybe not their actual mama, but a mama, a church mama needs to come alongside and say, let me help you. I, I had that when I was uh, growing up in New Zealand, went into ministry and marriage at 17, knew nothing, was away from my own mother who was very healthy, but I needed a parent. I was like a lost little girl in a world that I didn't understand. I remember one day I was standing at the altar of church, Pastor Jürgen, and I were the youth pastors at at the time. And we got into a massive argument publicly, like huge, like 
he said something that I didn't like. So then I said something that he didn't like. And, and then he came back at me, so I came back at him. And then I grabbed his arm aggressively and then he grabbed my arm aggressively. And we were literally about to get into a physical fight at the front of church as pastors. But from out of the corner of my eye, I saw a woman rushing toward me with a blonde perm. Her name was Robin Cooney. And she just put her arm around my shoulder as I'm sitting there going, <laughs> ready to you know, strike my husband publicly. And she said, Leanne, I've always wanted to meet you. My two kids are in the youth ministry and I, I wanna thank you for, for the service that you and your husband pour out every week. I'm so grateful. I'd love to take you for lunch. Little did I know that it was just her beautiful, covert, subtle way of saying, I need to help this girl out. <laughs> and for the next few years that we lived in New Zealand, she taught me how to be a mother, wife, and a generally pleasant, content person. Yeah. Nothing's changed. So open up your eyes to see and awaken, awaken to the ones around you who are silently screaming, will someone teach me how to live? Sometimes their dysfunction is not because they're wicked or evil, it's because they don't know any better. The Bible says, my people, believers, perish because of a lack of understanding. If you have the understanding, if you know how to hold a marriage down, if you've been through a thing or two, if you've weathered some storms and stood to tell the tale, find someone who was like you and help them. Please, we need helpers. We need harvesters right now. We want things to be better than they've been. We wanna turn the tide of divorce in this nation. Amen. All right, I've run out of time, but I've got a few more. I have run out of time. I've way run out of time. Little patience. If you have little patience, life is gonna be hard. Marriage is gonna be hard. Marriages and relationships are seasonal and cyclical and you're gonna have good days and bad days. And if you don't have patience and you demand perfection immediately, you will suffer and you will create a very toxic environment. It's a little fox that needs to be dealt with. Can you give your spouse what they need when they can't give you what you need? Every man and woman, man and woman, will go through a change of life. It's during that time that some have decided it's time to trade in their 60-year-old for 230s. Bad mistake. Ba bad mistake, hang in there. It will get better. It, you will come through, have some patience. Now, I'm not talking about tolerating things that are unacceptable, but I'm talking about having patience when it feels like the well of your love has, has grown dry, for pr praying for them, believing for God to get you through, ministering to them. That's why when we say our marriage vows, it's for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Imagine if the world just meant their marriage vows when they said them and didn't change them to the most ridiculous things instead. I promise to always scratch your back. I promise to make your favourite breakfast. Boring, do that afterwards. We want the better for worse, the richer for poorer, the in sickness and in health. Because I am saying I will be patient in the seasons where it feels like life has been turned upside down and, and I feel a little bit neglected. I'm gonna prefer you over myself. I'm gonna believe God for things to shift, but I'm not gonna toss you out. We are in this together.
All right, I'd love it if every person would stand to their feet. Billy Graham once was interviewed on Australian television and they were trying to, like, they were trying to discredit him because it was a, a time in the late 80s, early 90s when a lot of American TV evangelists, their marriages were imploding and they were having affairs and there was all kind of debauchery going on. And this reporter looked in the eyes of Billy Graham and said, see, mankind was not meant to be monogamous. What would you do, Billy Graham? with a tone of accusation, if one day you woke up in the morning and you no longer had any love in your heart for your wife. And Billy Graham, I will never forget it, just took a minute, he looked down and then he looked up and with little tears in the rim of his eyes, he said, if I woke up one morning and I no longer had any love in my heart for my wife, I would get down on my knees and I would pray. And I wouldn't get back up again until that love had returned. Patience, patience. Seasons pass, winter leads to spring. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Lift your hands. Right now, if you're with your spouse, I just want you to put your arm around them. Actually, both arms. Just hug them. When was the last time you hugged them, kissed their head and told them, I love you? I don't want anyone else but you. You are my absolute favourite. Thank you, Lord. Maybe your spouse hasn't made it in with you today. Just, just pray quietly for them. If you're single, you pray for your future spouse. If you've got it in your heart to be married, we're amening you. We're saying yes and amen. And don't think it can't be done. God made Eve for Adam and He wasn't even asking for her. God bought Rebecca to Isaac, God's the ultimate matchmaker. Father, I thank You today for the marriage relationships in this church, the marriages that are and the marriages that will be. Father, we make a decision today that You will be the third part of that threefold cord, for we know it is not easily broken. I pray for every marriage today that is hanging by a thread. Father, that You would fill them with Your great love today. You would open their eyes to the possibilities of what could be. And like we are admonished in the book of Solomon, Song of Solomon to do, that we would catch the little foxes. We would not let the little things take out our marriage relationship. I rebuke the devil right now, the cruel one, the tormentor, the one who inserts chaos and strife and division. We declare today what God has brought together. No man and no devil will separate. Father, I thank You for grace and love. Beautiful love moments and conversations to be had this week, not out of judgment or accusation, but healing. Words of healing. The words of the wise bring healing. Father, we thank You for all you've done and all you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.